Greetings, golf fans. This episode, or I should say this special Open Championship preview episode of the Golf Guide podcast is proudly presented by the website known as golfguide.net. If you are unfamiliar with golfguide.net, it is a simple website where you can do one of a few things. You can find out information about every single golf course on the Pacific Coast with our online directory. You can save up to 70% uh, on rounds of golf at golf courses around Northern California and beyond. And you can also sign up for events uh, that I will be attending to destinations like Gamble Sands and Bandon Dunes later this year where you can join like-minded golfers who really enjoy playing world-class golf and also enjoy a lot of good camaraderie and stiff cocktails. And if any of those things interest you, then visiting golfguide.net should be an absolute slam dunk for you. So if you haven't done so already, golfguide.net is the domain name. Go ahead and give it a look. Uh, and that's it. I, I, I can't go into any more details because Open Championship Week is here, ladies and gentlemen. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with part one of our Open Championship preview here on the Golf Guide Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I, uh, of course, am your host, Kyle Serlo, and uh, I thank you very, very much for joining me here today. It is an exciting, exciting day because it is Sunday. The John Deere Classic has come to an end, as has the Scottish Open, which means uh, there is no more high-level, top-tier professional golf to be played until the Open Championship at Royal Portrush begins on Thursday morning. Uh for those of you who do not have a tradition like myself of uh, waking up at obnoxiously early hours uh, to just binge uh, Lynx Golf through your television set, I, I hope that if that has not been part of your routine in the past, that you start a new tradition of doing so this year because I, I think the Open Championship is personally my second favorite golf tournament of the year behind the Masters. But really, if you were to switch the two, and have the Open Championship be the very first major of the year, there is a legitimate argument to be made that it could be my favorite because I think part of what makes Augusta so fantastic is that golf fans have just been starved for major golf for eight or eight months straight, and then finally just get this beautiful golf course and this perfectly run golf tournament. Um, but pretty much most of the same things could be said about the Open Championship. Um, what makes me think that it might be the case if the Open Championship was first is that I personally love Lynx golf. As much as I love Augusta, world-class Lynx golf is more interesting to me as a player. It, I think it would be more interesting to play. And because of that, I think it's also going to be more interesting to watch these guys uh, take on Royal Portrush this weekend uh, because it is so unlike every other course in the Open Championship rotation. Um, it is the only golf course to ever host the Open Championship, not in Scotland or England. Uh, and it is <laughs> seemingly it is going to be an absolutely superb golf tournament. There's so many changes that uh, that set Royal Portrush apart from other courses in the open rotation. And what we're going to do here for part one of this podcast is I'm actually just going to take, you know, 10 to 20 minutes here 
and just kind of get you guys ready and get you guys educated on uh, everything I've read up on on Royal Portrush as a venue for this year's Open Championship. Because again, like I said, it's it's so unlike any of the other courses in the Open rotation um, for a number of reasons. Uh, certainly, I'll talk about here on this podcast. First and foremost, simply the undulation and the slope. I mean, there. This is probably the most dramatic piece of Lynx land that the pros are going to play in the Open Championship. Certainly quite a bit more elevation change than any of the other places we've seen recently. Quite a bit more than St. Andrews. Uh, a lot more than Royal Lytham and St. Anne's. I mean, it. it the, the way it's also been described to me is that Irish Lynx and Scottish Lynx are different. You know, they, they do have very different characteristics. Um Irish golf does tend to be, the, the dunes tend to be quite a bit larger. Like I said, more elevation change. Uh, certainly a little more winding in between dunes. I think when you see some of those really spectacular, beautiful pictures of Lynx golf, where it's you know a tiny, tight little fairway zigzagging between a bunch of big blown-out dunes, that's more of what I think of when I think of Irish Lynx golf, as opposed to something more like, you know, open with pop bunkering and subtle, you know, severe but subtle undulations like you'd find at St. Andrews. That's what I would characterize more as Scottish links. Um, for anybody listening to this podcast who has visited Bannon Dunes before, um, it certainly is a wildly imperfect comparison, but Pacific Dunes would be a little bit more reminiscent of an Irish links course, and Bandon Dunes would be more reminiscent of a Scottish links course. They have a lot in common, but stylistically they are different, and I think that's kind of what will come through across the television screen as we watch the Open Championship this weekend. So... Without me bumbling, let me go to my notes here because, again, I, I got a lot of stuff here on Royal Portrush that I think would be very important for you guys to take note of. Uh, as I think, you know, just understanding the history of this golf course and what it took for this course to host this year's championship certainly is going to give me a much larger appreciation for this tournament. And I hope that by uh, giving you a lot of information um, about Royal Portrush, it'll actually enhance your viewing of the championship as well. So, for those who are unfamiliar, um, Royal Portrush is located in Northern Ireland uh, on the coast. Um, it is part of a 36-hole complex. So Royal Portrush, uh, they're going to be playing what's called the Dunlass Links, And then there's another 18-hole golf course called the Valley Links. And, uh, of course, for this championship, as I mentioned, they will be playing the Dunlace, champ, uh, the Dunlace Links. Uh, if I am butchering the pronunciation of that, I apologize. Trying to say it in an American accent seems just challenging I, I feel like if i got to use a you know an english or a scottish or an irish accent you know dunlas certainly rolls out the tongue quite a bit better uh with a thick accent like that so uh if i do start just saying dunlas uh in a really makeshift you know european united kingdom accent uh i apologize it just it just rolls out the tongue a little bit easier like that so um, a little history on the course they're going to be playing the dunlas links um, it was originally an old Tom Morris design, but it was redesigned by Harry Chaplin Colt. Um, give or take somewhere around 1929 to 1931, Harry Colt, um, really one of the greatest uh, golf course architects of all time, certainly not nearly as well-known here on the West Coast as uh, some other prominent Golden Age architects. Um, all you really need to know is that Alistair McKenzie worked with Harry Colt uh, before he went on to begin a solo career in 1923. From 1919 to 1923, um, Alistair McKenzie actually worked under Harry Colt, uh, along with Charles Allison in the UK. Harry Colt is responsible for a number of unbelievably spectacular, world-famous courses. Uh, there's this one in the States called Pine Valley. Um, 
That is a Harry Colt golf course. If you go back east, he designed the Eden course at St. Andrews. Uh, Sunningdale, old and new, he has his fingerprints all over those. As long as, I mean, again, so many world-class golf courses. Harry Colt is one of the godfathers of the golden age of golf course architecture, and he is the one responsible for most of what we're going to see here at Royal Portrush for this Open Championship. So you got to know that the pedigree, the architectural pedigree uh, of this golf course is quite literally second to none. Um, it, it is absolutely fantastic, and the people at Golf Digest certainly agree because in the most recent ranking of the world's top 100 golf courses, which I think Golf Digest does every other year, um, so in 2018 they did their list. And now, granted, it doesn't include courses in the United States, so essentially this list is for the top golf courses in the world not in the United States, and on that list, um, Royal Portrush ranked 7th <laughs> as the 7th best golf course in the world uh, outside the United States. The courses that are right around it are courses like Royal Melbourne, <laughs> uh, the old course at St. Andrews, <laughs> you know, just little places like that. So, I mean, this is by, you know, even the harshest and, and, and biggest critics of golf course architecture, Royal Portrush is widely regarded to be one of the world's finest um courses it by and large is usually rated as the second best golf course in all of ireland uh behind royal county down which on that same list of the top 100 golf courses in the world royal county down was ranked number one <laughs> so it's uh it, it certainly is in some really really good company um as i mentioned at the top of the podcast royal portrush is the only golf course to host the open championship in ireland whether that's northern ireland or uh mainland ireland it is the only one and it has not hosted an open championship since 1951 where a, uh, a gentleman by the name of max faulkner uh, an englishman won in 1951 with a collective score of minus three uh but that was back when it was playing as a par 72 um and you know ireland has not hosted an open championship since then and uh there are a, a number of reasons why this has been the case um and we might as well just jump into it now so if you are unfamiliar with the history of Ireland in the 20th century, it is one that is littered with violence and civil war. Um, without going too far into it, uh, shortly after 1951, when it hosted that Open Championship, pretty much for the duration of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, Ireland was engaged in a civil war of sorts that is more commonly referred to as the Troubles, where um, it, it wasn't necessarily a war or a civil war based on religion, although that did have a large um, part of it, but essentially Northern Ireland as it stands today is part of the United Kingdom, whereas mainland Ireland is not. Um, and it was kind of, you know, it's, it's more or less was a fight over the independence of Ireland, uh, where essentially Northern Ireland wanted to remain part of the UK and the rest of Ireland did not. And that combined with a bunch of other factors that I do not have enough knowledge or time to get into, uh, basically caused it to have a very violent civil war that lasted several decades uh, and essentially made hosting a tournament like the Open Championship all but impossible. Um, but now, that uh, you can't really say that war or that conflict has really ended. It's still kind of going on. There is still violence. Even in 2019, there was still violence um, that's taking place. A journalist was killed earlier this year in April um, due to some violence that was happening related to that conflict. So, I mean, it's certainly not over, but it certainly has subsided quite a bit to the point where um, the Royal and Ancient Golf Association and everybody who's responsible for putting on the Open Championship felt um, that it was possible and it was time to bring this tournament back to the island of Ireland. Now, 
for anybody that wants to get um, kind of a breakdown on how exactly, you know, what, what went into this golf tournament being able to come back to Ireland, I would encourage every single one of you guys to read the story that Alan Shipnuck uh, of Golf Magazine and Golf.com posted a couple of weeks ago titled How Royal Portrish Got the Open Back. Uh, I'm going to be referencing that article a few times here um, as, uh, as I continue to kind of, you know, explain to you guys how, how many crazy events needed to take place and fall into place um, for this tournament to happen this weekend. Um, so, like I said, with the troubles going on throughout the, the latter half of the 20th century, um, you know, the RNA never really considered taking this tournament back to Ireland. It just seemed like it was too dangerous, trying to convince spectators and tourists and, and everybody from all over the world that usually comes to this golf tournament to then go to uh, a war-stricken country was just, it was going to be a really tough sell. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, but as the violence you know, subsided in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, it started to become a little more realistic. And then in the late 2000s, uh, as Northern Ireland started to become a really tourist-friendly destination for golfers from all over the world, especially America, um, given that Royal County Down and Royal Portrush have always been ranked as some of the top courses in the world, you know, golfers who are willing to travel all the way to the UK to go play golf, those are two bucket list courses. So as Northern Ireland started to experience more and more tourism uh, from golfers, it kind of opened up the R&A's eyes, and they started to take notice, and they began looking at possibly um, bringing this tournament back um, into the fold. Well, it certainly seems like it started to get a little bit more uh, juice after Darren Clark, um, a native of uh, Northern Ireland, won the Open Championship in 2011. Um, Darren Clark is a member at Royal Portrush. In fact, uh, when he won that 2011 Open Championship, the winner does not get to keep the Claret Jug. It goes on to the winner each and every year. However, you do receive a medal uh, for being champion golfer of the year, and Darren Clark's 2011 Open medal is displayed at Royal Portrush. So um, once he became an Open champion and a champion golfer of the year, he was a great ambassador for Northern Ireland. He started to bring more and more attention to this. He was talking with the RNA. And it really got things moving. And so the year after that, I believe in 2012, um, Royal Portrush got to host the Irish Open. And it was the first golf tournament that uh, it had hosted in quite some time. Um, and it was crazy. It set an Irish Open attendance record. <laughs> and basically what happened at this is it proved to the RNA and everybody else that not only was Royal, Royal Portrush um, a phenomenal venue for championship tournament golf, um, it did highlight that it needed several changes um, if it was ever going to host an open championship again. It needed a lot of logistical and infrastructural improvements. The golf course itself needed a little bit of work as uh, the 17th and 18th holes of the original design went to a different piece of the property with some more benign land, and it kind of created a lackluster finish. And it also um, was really, really tight. You know, part of the, uh, the charm and a signature of the Open Championship is to have the wild surrounding grandstands around the 18th hole. And given the current configuration, or I should say, given the old configuration of Royal Portrush, that would have been a logistical uh, impossibility. So given all those facts, from what they learned of how not only popular the tournament would be from that uh, Irish Open, but then getting to learn all the different things they need to do, um, that's really kind of what got the ball rolling on this thing finally happening. Um, which, again, it, it's going to be absolutely crazy. So, as I mentioned, a lot of infrastructural changes needed to be made uh, in, order for this <laughs> in order for this tournament to take place. Uh, additions to this tournament include, quote, miles of fiber optic cables, 
an underground water and sewage system, a 16 million pound, uh, 16 million pounds worth of widened roads, and a new train station. Uh, and if all goes well, no one really notices these upgrades, but the changes to the fabled course figure to be a lively talking point. That's right. The golf course was changed as well. So as I mentioned uh, before, uh, the old 17th and 18th weren't going to do. So what happened is a uh, gentleman and a golf course architect by the name of Martin Ebert uh, came in and designed a couple of new golf holes, um, which are going to be playing as the 7th and 8th holes in this championship. There was land that was used for the other 18-hole course at uh, Royal Portrush, which is called the Valley Links, also designed by Harry Colt. Uh, and designed a new 7th and 8th hole and basically was able to move things around so... All the other holes are still uh, there, except for the 17th and 18th of the old one has been replaced by the 7th and 8th on the routing we're going to see this weekend, and then the other holes have been jumbled around. What was the 7th is now the 9th. Um, basically, it, there's a couple new holes, but essentially all the feedback that I've heard from the players um, playing it so far say it's absolutely stunning. It's just as good. And really, the, uh, <laughs> the way that you know it's really, really good is that these people that have been playing Royal Portrush, the members out there, you know, 135-year-old golf club, when the RNA came to them and said, hey, we'd, I think we'd like to host it here. However, you know, I know that you guys have got this world-class golf course that people have been traveling to come play for 130 years, but uh, we're going to need to make some drastic changes and probably create and have a new 17th and 18th hole. Probably will be, you know, holes that already exist, but then build a couple new ones. Uh, most, you know, especially in America, you know, most old clubs, if a if the USGA came to said, yeah, we'd like to have a tournament here, but we'd like to demolish a couple of your holes and build a couple new ones, they would just give them the dead eyes and say, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this, this, this is our, no. And shockingly enough, the members and uh, the peop the powers that be at Royal Portrush embraced these changes wholeheartedly, knowing that some bringing something like an open championship to this uh, uh, venue would be life-changing. Um, it, it, it's probably going to be the single biggest um, event that's ever taken place in Northern Ireland in the 20th or 21st centuries. And uh, it's really crazy. So the, the membership there was eager, enthusiastic about bringing these changes about. As I said, Martin Ebert's design uh, and improvements uh, seem to be getting thumbs up from everybody in the golfing community. In fact, Tiger Woods, uh, who played his first practice round at Royal Portrush uh, today on Sunday, um, he was actually having trouble distinguishing which of the holes were new and which of them were old. And as a man who's, you know, uh, firmly into the golf architecture stage of his career. Um, that is a really high compliment, not being able to tell which ones are new and which ones aren't. So the course itself, from a player's perspective and from a viewer's perspective, should be incredible. You really won't be able to tell which ones are new and which ones aren't uh, unless you're listening to the broadcast because I'm sure it'll be a, a talking point throughout the tournament. Um, and it's crazy, just the, the amount of prep that the town of Portrush is going through um, to get ready for this tournament is really, really wild. So this is also from Alan Shipnick's piece. Quote, Spring cleaning took on a different meaning this year in the village of Portrush. Businesses put up new awnings while homeowners added a fresh coat of paint. A local heritage group has adorned the town with signage highlighting its history and attractions. Um, says one of the uh, local members at Royal Portrush, quote, This is by far the biggest event to ever come to Northern Ireland. We all want to put our best foot forward. Uh, end quote. And Shipnuck goes on to continue with, Royal Portrush is heavily subsidized by Vagabond Americans who account for three quarters of the overseas visitors. The Open will be a week-long infomercial to entice golfers from the rest of the world. Uh, quote again from uh, that member, the economic benefits 
to the whole of Northern Ireland cannot be overstated for this tournament, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this you know, pardon my French, but this is a huge fucking deal. Um, and <laughs> uh, I'm just very impressed that everything was able to come together. And we've talked on this podcast about what the, the Brexit thing is going to mean for this golf tournament. Um, somehow the UK has decided to continue to postpone that, so it has allowed this tournament to take place without more issues than it otherwise would have. Um, but yeah, it's it just looks stunning. Now, now that I've given you a history in the background of this thing, it, it's time for me to start talking some nuts and bolts. What this golf course? What can we really expect from this golf course? Well, first thing I'll tell you is, as a Northern Ireland native, Rory McIlroy is going to be a crowd favorite. Um, Graham McDowell. Darren Clark and Rory McIlroy, I believe, are going to be the three Northern Irishmen in the field. Rory McIlroy actually owns the course record at Royal Portrush, which he set as a 16-year-old. Yes, Rory McIlroy shot 61 at Royal Portrush as a 16-year-old. That is fucking crazy. (laughs) That is so wildly impressive. It is nuts. Um, The golf course. All right. As I mentioned on last week's podcast, there was not a whole lot of information and video for you to take uh, take a look at in order to get acquainted with Royal Portrush. That is no longer the case. Over the last 24 hours, um, the Open Championships Instagram feed has actually made two posts that include flyovers of all 18 holes. So I would encourage every single one of you, if you have not done so already, follow the Open Championship on Instagram and go and spend 15 or 20 minutes carefully looking at all the flyovers of each of those 18 holes it is tremendous it'll get you a little more accustomed to the golf tournament and will also give you a little context um to what i'm about to tell you guys right now so uh what are, what are some of the characters of this golf course now let me provide the caveat i have not been to or played royal Portrush, uh, but i have been reading about this golf course for a long time i did several hours of research to get ready for this uh for this podcast so um i'm sure you could probably find all the information I'm about to tell you right now in about 15 minutes on the golf channel. But you know what? I don't watch the golf channel, so uh, I have no idea. So you're listening to me, and I appreciate it. So I'm going to try to give you as much information as I can. Um, like all Lynx courses, the difficulty of this golf course is going to be based primarily on the wind. As the wind goes, the dif- difficulty of the golf course goes. Now, um, by Lynx standards, it is a little bit longer. This, tur- uh, this golf course is going to be topping out at 7,337 yards um, and as Patty Harrington uh, said, it's the perfect mix of long, tough holes and shorter ones that offer enticing risk-reward play. Um, that right there gets me at half chub. I mean, just knowing, just saying that the golfers that really appreciate good quality architecture are already identifying this as a supreme test is really, really encouraging. Um, you know, it, the golf course, compared to a lot of the Lynx courses, especially from the last couple of years, looks much greener. Um, than what I'm accustomed to, which makes me think, oh, maybe the course won't be playing as fast. It's not as dried out. Not the case. Uh, Golf Week reporters who have been on the scene have been saying that the course is playing as firm as any of the Open Championship venues that we've experienced the last couple of years. Um, Just because of the climate and the way that the membership has been taking care of the golf course, it has a luscious green look to it while still playing fast and firm like anything else you'd find out on the open rotation. In fact, it's so lush that it's so lush that uh, a reporter from Golf Week was saying that he couldn't even find a single divot uh, out on the golf course prior to um, golfers showing up to begin their practice rounds in the last week because the membership, for the last several months, every time they play, they've been bringing out a tiny little AstroTurf mat and hitting all of their shots off the mats to make sure they don't damage the golf course in any way. <laughs> How wild is that? It's so awesome. Um, so 
the golf course is in as perfect condition as possible. The greens are firm, just like you'd find at other Open Championships, and as has been the case the last several years, and you know, with Lynx Golf in general, the greens are not going to be rolling nearly as fast as what you would see on the PGA Tour or any of the major championships contested in uh, the United States. You know, typically Lynx Golf greens are much more undulating. They have a ton more slope uh, and usually much more severe slope to the point where if you had greens as fast as they are on the stint meter as what you see in America, they basically would be unplayable. You almost have to have the greens be a little bit slower just so golfers actually have a chance. Um, And that is going to be the case again this year. Now, compared to some other greens you see in the Open Championship rotation, like at St. Andrews or what we saw at Carnoustie last year, um, the greens at Royal Portrush are considered to be relatively benign, um, which is going to allow players to make a lot of putts. Granted, they can make a lot of those putts if the wind isn't blowing. Uh, The green sites are exposed to the wind just as at every other part of the golf course, and wind is very much going to be a factor on the greens. Um, if you got a two or three club crosswind, you better be factoring that into your read. I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be that wild out there. Um, guys are going to be have to flex, or going to have to be flexing mental muscles uh, in ways that they just never would have to uh, playing golf here in the states. And that that in itself is going to be really really exciting. Um, the dunes landscape that Royal Portrush sits on um, has been referred to, you know, by golf course historians and, and, and architectural writers like Jeff Shackford as quote perfect rumpled lynx land um it it just looks so spectacular guys I, I cannot encourage you enough to just go look at as many pictures and watch as many videos about this golf course as humanly possible it's it's really impossible to put into words how spectacular this golf course looks and if it plays if this tournament uh, is going to play half as awesome as the golf course looks uh we're going to be in for a hell of a tournament here um now one thing that a lot of american golfers really do not like are blind shots uh, and in Lynx golf, blind golf shots are certainly quite a bit more common than uh, any contemporary American designs that you'll find. Um, but for Royal Portrush, despite the massive amount of elevation change, there's not really any truly blind shots uh, on this golf course. Um, there are shots where you know golfers are going to be in the fairway hitting their approach shots, and they won't really be able to see the green surface per se. But they're going to be able to see you know the false front of the green they'll know exactly where it is there's aiming poles behind the green so you see exactly where you're going um so let's say there's going to be a lot of semi-blind um tee shots at this uh at this golf tournament um but i wonder how that's going to affect the the players in the field those who feel really comfortable um (laughs) with blind shots certainly probably will have some sort of advantage but there's nothing quite like what we saw last weekend at the irish open at la hinch in terms of just blind hit it and hope, you know, type stuff. I mean, there's not going to be any of that out here at Royal Port Rush. I mean, it is seemingly a very fair test with mostly what you need right out there in front of you. Now, one of the uh, gentlemen that's already out there on the golf course is Mr. Adam Scott. Um, and he had some interesting comments about uh, how Royal Port Rush was playing. It's his first experience at the golf course. Uh, having just, in, you know, played his first couple of practice rounds, I wanted to share this Adam Scott quote with you because I think it's going to be uh, very insightful in his uh, going to kind of give us <laughs> a preview of what to expect and what kind of players maybe might be able to thrive out here. Uh, Adam Scott's quote uh, begins here. Quote, I was a bit surprised uh, my first look at how demanding the golf course uh, or how demanding of a golf course it is. Uh, sometimes on links you can really get away with wide shots, but here you can't. Um, this golf course in Royal Portrush is very penal off the tee no matter what you hit. 
Uh, if you start spraying it, there's going to be reloading a lot. Uh, if the wind doesn't blow, there will be less of that, but it's a very, very strong golf course, end quote. This is one of the best players in the world and one of the best ball strikers on the planet, and he's talking about how tough this thing is going to be to hit off the tee, and I, I think that is really interesting because, again, once you guys look at all these flyovers, these fairways do seem quite a bit more narrow uh, than a lot of the other courses we see in the Open Championships, and uh, if you miss these fairways, th that, that dunes land is is treacherous and uh, does not look easy. So I think more so than what we've seen in past years is uh, getting off the tee and being very accurate off the tee is going to be really, really important. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be great with a driver um, because, again, with the conditions being as fast and as firm as they are, I can't imagine that you know someone like a Brooks Kepka who's just going to be bombing drivers is going to be at that much of an advantage over somebody that's got a great three-wood, a great two-iron, and a great driver that they can mix and mash and shape um, – to, to find fairways because there's a lot of right to left holes out here. There's a lot of you know left to right. I mean, this golf course is going to require the winner and basically all the guys in contention to hit a variety of golf shots in every shape imaginable. Um, it's it's going to require a truly imaginative uh, player to do really really well at this golf course, and that's just another reason why I'm really really looking forward to it. So um, that's it at least for the golf course preview of Royal Portrush again. There's only so much that my words can explain to you guys. Going to actually take a look at it and uh, and watching some videos and looking at pictures of it is really the only way it's finally going to do it justice before this thing starts. So I would encourage you guys to go do that. Uh, I will be back with part two of our Open Championship preview podcast. I believe uh, my good friend Boat is going to be joining me uh, to talk over some of the top storylines for the tournament as well as uh, some of the guys that we like in terms of wagering and uh, putting some capital down on guys to win this thing. So uh, we'll be back with part two. Uh, I do thank you guys very much for listening to me rant for this episode of the podcast. I haven't been doing many on my own very often, so uh, always kind of takes a little getting used to uh, being being the sole show here. But uh, again, I really appreciate you guys listening. If you want to support this podcast, the best way to do so is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Um, that helps us get seen by more people and helps, it get, helps us get listened to by more people. And uh, that's the goal here. We want to just share fun golf talk with as many people as possible. So ratings, reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Um, other than that, I hope you guys have an excellent week. I'm really looking forward to this golf tournament. It is going to be so, so awesome. Um, and, and again, I'm going to be back here shortly. We're, we're going to be coming back with part two uh, with Boat here in the next day or two. So stay tuned. I'm looking forward to that. And until then, uh, adios, everybody. <laughs>